Welcome back to The Experience Makers, the podcast brought to you by Wonderman Thompson Technology. I'm Gemma Milne, and once a month we'll be reimagining customer experience with guests from across the marketing technology industry. In 2021, digital experiences have the power to make or break relationships with customers, yet delivering them has never been more of a challenge for brands, as the demand for personalised experiences across multiple channels is becoming increasingly hard to manage. Today, touching upon their new report, Building Better Experiences, I'll be talking to Sitecore's Director of Industry Strategy and Marketing, Mike Plimsoll, and Wonderman Thompson Technology Strategist, Mark Deal and Adam Laspina. Together, we'll be delving into the findings of the report that focuses on the complexities of today's content and asset management landscape and gives advice to brands trying to navigate it to build better experiences. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for coming and joining us on the show today. And we're going to start with a round of introductions. I would love for you all to just tell me um, who you are, what you do, and specifically kind of what what your sort of experience is that that brought you uh, to this report and and what you're kind of bringing to this conversation. Um, Adam, let's start with you. Sure. Hi, Gemma. Um, My name's Adam Laspina. I am a lead strategy consultant at Wonderman Thompson Technology. So I work with uh, companies and, and brands and organizations that are really looking to define or redefine their customer experience. Um, so I kind of help them with the, the capabilities that will enable that uh, that change. Um, and quite often, you know, we're seeing things around um, personalization or hyper-relevancy, um, which, you know, this this report touches a little bit on those types of ambitions and and the sort of you know the the challenges that um, that both technology and um, and other capabilities can unlock. So yeah, excited to be talking about this today. Awesome, thanks, Adam. Mike, uh, thank you, Gemma. My name's Mike Plimsoll, uh, and I head up the industry strategy and marketing team at Sitecall. Um, so I lead a, a team of industry experts and what uh, that support our customers in understanding industry trends, best practices, use cases, you know, and how we at Cycle can help add value. Um, and for me, this this report is really invaluable because across all industries, whether it's financial services, automotive, retail, you know, we're seeing this need for better management of assets, content, you know, whether, you know, videos or snippets of content. And, you know, as we move into a more personalized world and uh, more one-to-one personalization and the need for content increases exponentially almost. So, you know, being able to understand uh, the viewpoints of, you know, um, key stakeholders across different organizations, different departments is really invaluable in, in helping to understand how, you know, digital asset management can, can really become a core component of your tech stack. Thank you, Mike. Amazing. Uh, great to have you with us. And Mark. Hi, I'm Mark Deal. I'm a technology strategist at Wonderman Thompson Technology. My role is really about working with clients to understand uh, the capabilities that they need to deliver uh, a customer experience that's relevant to uh, all the customers that they engage with today. Um, traditionally, uh, we've been focused on web, but certainly in the last few years, we've seen the proliferation of more and more channels. And so now our thinking is very much aligned with uh, a multi-channel or omni-channel experience. These days, when I, I speak with clients, 
about uh, what they're trying to achieve from uh, a content and asset supply point of view. We really have to think about a broad range of, of, of content and assets and uh, the, the diverse needs of the, the multiple channels that, that, that will need to actually use those, those content and assets. So my focus these days is really, in particular, on taking uh, organizations from thinking about their traditional view of delivering to a confined set of channels to a broader range of channels and how that really impacts on the content supply chain. Amazing. We're really happy to all have all three of you uh, with us today to chat about this um, brilliant topic and specifically off the back of uh, this report, which you all contributed to building better experiences. But before we get into the, the, the nitty gritty, shall we say, of the report itself, maybe let's do a little bit of um, scene setting. And Adam, I'd love to, to come to you first. Um, according to McKinsey, as of May 2020, we had vaulted five years forward in consumer and business digital adoption in a matter of around eight weeks. Um, and you hear this, the same sort of sentiment um, being spoken about a lot with respect to the, the, the COVID situation and how that's really uh, forced a lot of organizations to to move digital transformation forward in a, in a big way. Can you tell us a little bit about what this meant specifically for marketers in the experience business? Yeah, I mean, it all seemed to happen quite quickly, didn't it? And that sort of statistic alludes to that. But I think that it's been a trend that's been happening within marketing and digital functions for some time now. So um, sure, in, in that period when, you know, the pandemic first started, um, almost all experiences move to a, a digital or virtual world. So, um, you know, trying to catch up with, with, um, with, with that sort of demand was difficult for organizations to, you know, to put that in place right away. So, um, so I guess for marketers, um, you know, the, the, the challenges that have been there in, in the background over the, you know, the preceding couple of years came to the forefront, right? So, Things like being able to produce digital content and digital assets, almost you know, in real time or imminently, um, became just a, a real kind of key key thing to um, to enable within within brands and within businesses. So, um, you know, moving that experience that perhaps traditionally was a mix of online and offline to potentially all online meant all of a sudden the, the pressure on the content supply chain that Mark was just alluding to earlier. <laughs> yeah, let's let's actually dive into those those pressures a little bit um, that, that both you and, and Mark um, alluded to. Because of course, brands now are expected to be omnipresent, show up in real time, personalize their message, and of course, um, do all of this at scale. Mark, it'd be great to hear, you know, what, what does this pressure look like or what different kinds of pressures um, are being put on on content production and, and management? Well, I think the key thing is that, um, <laughs> you know, that there's this cliche about COVID changing everything. Um, I think the, the big change it's made is that um, it's, it's shone a light on the fact that organizations were going to have to start responding to the needs of millennials who are their customers of the future. And COVID has, has meant that a lot of people have started behaving more like millennials. They, they're, they're you know, using a wider range of channels. They're more digitally engaged. And also, I think their expectations are more aligned with millennials now. They're used to instant fulfillment. If you uh, place an order for something, it, it should arrive in the next day. And what that means from uh, a content supply chain point of view is that 
organizations need to be where their customers are rather than expect customers to go out of their way to find them. So if you're on social media and you see something, you want to be able to respond to it instantly. If you uh, receive uh, an email from uh, an organization that you have a relationship with, you want to be able to respond to it instantly or if you see something like a, a display ad. And what that means is that you know, beyond that initial touch point that could be anywhere uh, in a digital universe is that you need to be able to back that up with uh, ways in which you can quickly convert someone from having a, an initial understanding of, of your product or your brand to being able to get them to actually uh, engage with it or con convert. So you know, if, for example, you, you see something and you think, right, I want that supplied by Amazon because I know they'll deliver it tomorrow, you're just going to Google it or you're just going to search for it on Amazon uh, because your expectation is you can get it tomorrow, you can get it through Amazon. And what that means is that organizations are going to need to have you know, all their products on Amazon and all the supporting assets for that. And the demands of different retailers, you don't have to use Amazon. You know, you could work with Target, you could work with Walmart in, in the US, for example. Um, the, the, the demands that their particular needs place on the content supply chain are immense. Different things are merchandised in different ways for different contexts. And organizations have to be able to ready their product assets, their brand assets uh, in a way that allows them to be able to deliver against all of those use cases. So, yeah, I think, you know, that idea that we're all thinking more like millennials, that, you know, we want to find things in, in, a, in a particular place that we're used to using and we want to be able to respond instantly to the context we're in. Those two things combined together have, have an enormous impact on, on, on how assets need to be developed and distributed. So let's let's build on that a little bit um, with with respect to the report in the building better experiences report. Um, it's just the the experience life cycle is described. Um, Mike, what do what do we mean by this, and and who you know what roles are typically involved in this complex content and asset management ecosystem that you know at the end of the day is working towards uh, the things that both Adam and Mark have been uh, alighting in their answers. Yeah, and, and yes, and the experience life cycle, as we've sort of seen it, it's, it is complex. It's comprised of ideation and creation of assets, the production and adoption, storage, and um, then finally the, that enrichment of, of content through to the, the distribution that both Adam and Mark were talking about, you know, all those different channels that you want to distribute content to. And so if you think about all of those stages, you, you know, your content creators, your digital teams, your peer reviews, your product teams, compliance and legal who need to review, you've got so many people involved all the way through. Uh, and so we've seen this need to centralize content and you know, bring to bear benefits um, to, to the business, but also look more at um, more modular content that's structured for reuse. So it's no longer creating sort of, you know, one-off pieces of, of content. Um, you know, I, I think of, uh, you know, um, customers of Sitecore who, um, you know, one uh, customer um, in the CPG space delivers over 470,000 images to their top three sites daily. And so you think, you know, all of those people that are involved in the creation of that content, you know, how do you make sure that it's scalable, reusable, 
modular so that it can be distributed. And that's really the content lifecycle. And, and actually the final bit, which I haven't mentioned, is then the analytics behind it, the um, be able to track performance and attribution of, of that content. So you know you know what's working and, and, and what's not. So it's you know everything from the very first you know idea around content through to tracking its performance. Amazing. So let's um let's start talking a little bit about some of the the challenges that were highlighted in the report specifically. Um, but but first, you know, who you surveyed a lot of people for this report to kind of get these insights. Who was surveyed and and why were they chosen? What were we trying to kind of um get insights about, Adam? Yeah. So um. The report f- focused and interviewed specifically what we've called IT decision makers and marketing decision makers. Um, so I guess the obvious definition there would be those um, people in roles who you know own either digital channels or the creation of content or the management of content on the marketing um, side, and then perhaps on the IT side, um, those that support the platforms from a functional and operational perspective um, and have traditionally, um, you know, been the, the custodians of, of the technology, if you will, even though there are, you know, certainly blending, um, you know, blending, bl- blurring lines in, in that space. But I think it's probably um, important to say uh, as well at this point that, you know, there's, it's not just about IT decision makers and marketing decision makers specifically, you know, there can be, sort of functional silos or product silos or capabilities that exist in certain functional areas, but not in others. Um, I think, you know, all of these things can kind of contribute to fractured experiences across a brand's channel. So, um, you know, we're sort of focused on two very representative and common um, groups of, of, you know, stakeholders that we need to bridge um, bridge the gaps a little bit and bring together, but um, you know there there are multiple factors at play, and I think there a lot of the statistics that come to life in this survey and this report um, you really extrapolate to across a whole organisation uh, as well as just the um, the two groups we've called out here. You do hear a lot, um, I guess, in conversations on podcasts like this, where we're talking about, um, I guess, the intersection of uh, marketing and technology. But across the board, I think um, when we're thinking about the the future of the industry, um, it's yes, we talk about the technology itself and how we implement it and the challenges and so on and so forth. But there's also a lot of focus on, um, frankly, interpersonal challenges too, right? It's about collaboration. It's about perhaps tensions between different teams. You you used the word silos there, Adam. Um, I wonder if you could go in a little bit into this theme, because this was one of the big uh, themes or challenges that was brought out in the report was sort of managing um, this kind of complex relationship building, shall we say, in order to move uh, things forward. And Mike, I'm going to I'm going to come to you first because you touched already on how many different stakeholders there are. Tell us some of the challenges that were that were raised um, in the in the surveys of these um, individuals. I think the the first bit when is in the decision making when you look at this. You know, we've been talking about IT decision makers, marketing decision makers, and. You know, there, there, there was this uh, divide to a degree around who owned the decisions and uh, had the final say in tools like digital asset management and both parties believing that they were the, 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 the end, you know, 
uh, sole arbiter of of that decision. Um, I think it's, it's it's more balanced, and you know what came out in the report was the the use cases were slightly different. the The functionality that they were looking for, the capabilities were um, uh, slightly different as well. And um, you know, we we also sort of said that there, there are lots of other functions that would use a digital asset management solution. You know, whether it's brand or in-house creative teams, digital teams, or even external um, agencies, and those you know those scenarios bring with it different workflow challenges because very often all of these teams need to work together. Um, yes, IT and marketing decision make- makers might want to make the decision about what solution to go with, but brand, PR, marketing agencies all need to work seamlessly together in the creation of the content and that requires the creation of uh, the right workflows the right processes um, with you know the right uh, approvals checks and balances put in place I was just gonna add yeah I think my absolutely you know right there at the operational level some of those checks and balances uh, I think also you know, it's not to be underestimated how important senior leadership is in sort of galvanizing and aligning different functions, right? So we we see, you know, more and more often that the the CEO or, or CIO, CTO, CMO, you know, these chief um, C-suite roles, they kind of need to be entirely aligned at that level for, you know, for that to kind of flow down into the culture of the teams and, and you know, the rest of the business working towards what that ambition or what that goal is that that um, you know brand or organisation is trying to achieve with with their customers. So I think um, you know just to kind of add that perspective um, uh, on the operational la- layer as well to say you know it's it's about mindset and it's about believing in you know what you you know you need to be doing um, uh, you know from the top down uh, as well as from the bottom up. Yes, I think the the cultural bit, uh, Adam, you're actually right. I mean, we we could spend days talking about, you know, does your organisation approach all tasks with, you know, both customer and digital first thinking, and how do you start to instil that culture? And yeah, absolutely. That that I think if if you know the three areas would be, you know, um, culture. Uh, technology and then the organization and operational model the, the sort of process um the easiest bit uh, and this is this might sound odd coming from someone who works for a company that sells technology the really easy bit is buying the technology um that's actually easy i mean despite what many people will think of our deal desks and uh, contract negotiations but the technology buying is the easy bit the difficult bit, Adam, as you say, is how do you get the cultural bit right? How do you build the right process and workflows um, to get that technology working in the way that your unique organization needs it to? And we're, we're going to dive into that um, in a minute. I do want to focus on the technology first, but you're right. I think getting those um, thoughts and tips that, that are in the report, but also getting that out for the audience here will be will be uh, brilliant. But let's let's dive into the, the technology itself. Mark, I'm going to pull you in here. Um, when it comes to the technology itself, what are teams currently using to help solve some of the challenges that we spoke about? And maybe you can tell us a little bit as well about what IT and marketing teams are finding or their sort of top frustrations uh, when it comes to this technology. You know, what's falling short of expectation? 
Sure. I think what you're finding generally is um, that organizations are typically using whatever they can find to do uh, a lot of this content supply chain work. So many organizations uh, will have uh, longstanding contracts with a a range of providers. And within those suites, they're likely to find products that um, will enable them to some degree to be able to perhaps, uh, you know, originate content or originate assets uh, and store store that that information in in some semi structured way, but the the risk there is that these tools are often you know quite generic and they're quite limited. And what they don't do is really provide any robustness around you know, how the the data around this information is structured. Uh, you know how how it can be accessed. Um, you know who can contribute to the process of actually developing that content. So what you'll find is that there's a lot of informality in these systems uh, that's holding organisations back. And it's really interesting listening to the points that Adam and, and Mike have made earlier on around the relationship between like, marketing and IT. And um, you know when, when we think about um, content and asset management these days, we think more and more. Uh, about these things being in in the middle of the technology stack. So traditionally, the front end of the technology stack is where marketeers live and and assert ownership, and the back end of the technology stack is where IT lives. And as Mike touched on earlier, uh, you know, sort of perhaps uh, in high regulated industries, some of the the information there that they really have to lock down have locked down. Um, and I think you know now what we're looking at is more and more capabilities actually coming into the middle of the stack where both IT and marketing have a stake and where they need to collaborate more, both from a procurement point of view, but also from a usership point of view as well. And I think that the two big areas there are are customer data and and how customer data can be leveraged to um, deliver on an organization's uh, marketing and personalization needs. And in particular, I think the, the content and assets that organizations need to use to be able to feature in a range range of channels. Amazing. So let's let's go into the the sort of uh, solution that your report talks about. This new breed of digital asset management solution that's emerging, the uh, the content and asset hub. Um, Adam, can you talk a little bit about about that? What it is and sort of why it's different. Yeah, and um, I'd certainly welcome Mark and, and Mike's input on this as well. But um, I guess from from my perspective. Um, and uh, as someone who, you know, is more of a, uh, have as more of a functional understanding of the technology, for me, it's about being able to really unlock or, or separate the content that is being created as part of this supply chain and as part of this life cycle to serve these, um, you know, all these use cases and the experiences that are being, you know, that are being driven across and um, across channels. It's about, you know, being able to to free your content up. So like Mark was talking about earlier, you know, if you have you have a piece of content that actually could be very, very useful across not just the website, but potentially across the app, um, or it could be syndicated out to third party providers, right? So I guess the the, the benefit um, of a of a combined or single content and asset hub is that the storage and the management of that piece, that individual piece of content, can then be sort of lifted and retrieved and and used, you know, across all of those various channels, um, with with very simple light touch 
um, you know, transformations or either through, you know, more localization of that content itself or resizing and re-rendering for a particular channel. Um, you know, those things require or are starting to require less development or, or traditional development effort um, when they can be sort of, you know, centrally uh, accessed and, and sourced and then, um, you know, uh, from, from, you know, from the hub. Um, and, and then through other means and other techni technical capabilities extrapolated out to channels. But I'm sure, I'm sure Mark um, and Mike would probably, uh, you know, have more um, technical answers to that question. Who'd like to jump in? Uh, I, I can cover a bit of that. So you know, from, from my point, I actually completely agree with the, the point that, that Adam made, which is that um, you know, what we used to see was uh, agencies or other content creators creating and delivering assets that might fit a particular channel use case. So you would develop a, a social media asset, you would develop an email asset, and then it would be pushed out to channel. What we're seeing now in terms of the change and what content and asset hubs will really enable is um, for um, agencies to develop you know, much more versatile assets that are perhaps more modular in their nature that could be used across a range of channels and then could be put together uh, aligned with different use case scenarios. And what Content and Asset Hub can enable is, uh, you know, the development of that content to, to take place with the supporting workflows and everything else that needs to align with that uh, in a way that uh, allows creatives to work in different ways and for them to you know, take assets, combine them in different ways, develop them for different channel use cases, and then see them pushed out. And, you know, as, as Mike said earlier on, not only see them pushed out, but then you'll be able to get the analytics on the performance of those particular assets or the combination of those assets and be able to reflect on, on their performance. So organizations are not only able to, you know, develop assets in, in much more complex and interesting ways, but they can check the, the performance. They can they can look at their hypotheses in terms of what is good content and uh, reflect on perhaps how they can do things differently, or if content is very successful, how they can do more more of the same. Uh, Mike, I want to I want to bring you in here because you said something interesting um, earlier on, where you said the, the the easiest part is the buying of the technology. Now I'm sure um, a lot of people would would beg to differ when it's thinking about trying to make a decision about all these different solutions and um, what's going to be right for them, and especially when there's quite a lot of different options on offer. So how should marketing and IT teams go about you know selecting? one of these digital asset management solutions? What, what should they be looking for? And crucially, what is it that really makes for a good digital asset management experience? There's there's so many different elements and um, it, 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 it will depend on the um, individual organization, you know, their, you know, how they're set up. But actually, you know, there's some common, common things that we've seen, you know, and, um, We've, we building on what we've been talking about around uh, the maturity of assets and the maturity of asset creation. You want to make sure that the solution that you're implementing will allow you to uh, go through that that maturity. So you know whether that and you know I think one of the the things we haven't called out explicitly is something uh, is is metadata that sits around the assets, and so making sure that the um, asset management solution can deliver that that 
and take you on that maturity path. So having you know basic metadata attributes for for raw assets, but also you know being able to expand that out to um, AI based created metadata to uh, social specific metadata or marketplace specific metadata, and so this means that you know you you, you want the asset management solution to be able to store you know um, structured master assets that can um, then be distributed out based on you know the channel that they're being delivered to that they're um, that they're being uh, uh, sent out to whether it's social you know um, marketplaces email whatever the channel might be so again it's making sure that that headless content delivery you know the the ability to have centralized assets that are easy to manage easy to find um, easy to reuse uh, there's a, um, a, a some research I was reading over the weekend that was saying something like 15 to 30 percent of a marketing uh, uh, campaign budget is spent on you know either buying assets creating assets curating assets so you know anything that's going to be able to reduce the cost down of that where assets can be found more easily reused more easily um, distributed more easily um, so that's probably the first thing is is just the, that that reuse um, then you know being able to have um, what we you know we've been talking a lot about the the workflows and the processes in place so that uh, when content is created it can be tracked and uh, from you know end-to-end process so um, you know when the author creates it um, there's a you know seamless supply of, of assets um, people can collaborate um, how can they co-edit um, you know understanding version control um, then being able to personalized dynamically um, based on the individual. So, you know, we're no longer creating one size fits all content here. It's how can you make sure it's personalized? So that those elements I think are are, are fundamental in, um, in, in what to look for. So absolutely, you know, the ability to store, find, manage assets, the workflow process behind uh, behind that, um, and be able to do this at scale and at speed. Adam, you want to add something? I was just yeah going to say because uh, what Mike was saying really resonated with um, with a, a client we've recently been working on defining. Really, it comes back to really that ambition that an organisation holds around the kind of experience they're wanting to deliver, right? So. I guess, you know, when it's very easy to say things like we want to be, you know, delivering really hyper-personalized experiences at a one-to-one level um, or, you know, really reducing friction across all of our channels and how, you know, how they're connected across a customer journey. But then as you, you just work back from that goal and start to, you know, realize, okay, there's some gaps in in what we have currently in the tech stack. Um, you know, there's... Uh, you know, quite often legacy platforms that are there that, yes, um, you know, one thing organizations are really good at are finding ways within, you know, processes and ways of working to make a platform or a product that perhaps isn't necessarily fit for purpose or certainly isn't future-proof, like Mike was saying, to do kind of the things that they want them to do. But actually, and that might be okay for a little bit of time, 
but you know at the end of the day to get to where you are saying you want to get to and these experiences that you know and and the type of things that um you know you're hanging the next three to five years of your entire organization strategy on you're going to have to look at that investment and and the underpinning technology that's actually going to enable you to get that next step and mike mentioned maturity and it's exactly right it's like you know with you know with uh, uh, baby steps or you know crawling before walking there there are platforms that will enable you know those initial sort of steps in 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 the process but at the end of the day and we're seeing it across the market right i'm sure mark is um r- right on top of this but and sitecore are very much a leader in this that you know platforms are moving to this headless what this way of delivering content in a headless manner so it's you know it's changing the 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 landscape of you know vendors and the offer that they're putting out there to to organizations um but yeah as, as i say as it, it comes back to that ambition that is being set from the get-go um you, you know to truly and fully realize that you know it's these these kind of content asset hubs and other you know other pieces of the the tech stack that are evolving in this way that really make that actually achievable one final question i want to ask you about um the technology before we we kind of get back to this point on culture and how to how to make all this work from a collaboration perspective um mark mike already mentioned ai but i'd, I'd love to hear a little bit from you how are how are teams using ai in the in the context of um digital asset management and how might they use it um moving forward yeah, AI is, you know, it's still one of those things that very much lives in, in the hype cycle. And um, it, it, when when you actually sit down and, and think about, you know, what can AI really achieve? It's normally quite prosaic things. And that, that's not a bad thing. If you, if you think about, you know, a lot of the organizational inefficiencies that you see related to content and asset supply chains, they're around things such as, just, you know, manual activities such as tagging assets um, and finding assets and AI can help so much in those spaces. So, um, you know, traditional manual activities like adding a tag to, to an asset, well, you should be able to automate that. You should be able to get the AI engine to be able to identify what an asset is and apply the right tag. And also with asset sourcing, you know, people aren't machines and they all use terminology to search for assets that's relevant to them. And, you know, if you just take a strict metadata-based approach, you're not necessarily going to find exactly the right asset. AI can help there in terms of better discoverability of, of those assets too. AI can also help, I think, in, in another area, which is around compliance. And more and more organizations are going to have to think a lot more about compliance in the future from a number of perspectives. So, uh, heavily regulated industries need to think about things. And many organizations know they're not doing enough in terms of diversity and inclusion, and they need to make sure that their brands better reflect society and their potential customers. So you can also use AI to make sure that you're delivering on, on some of those goals too. Amazing. So I, I promised that we would come back to this point on um, on collaboration and on culture, because I do think that whilst we can we can talk about the, the nitty gritty of the technology, um, as, as Mike said, perhaps that's the, the easy part um, of making these changes and, and, and really moving, moving uh, the world of marketing and IT forward to really deliver on the experiences that we're talking about. Um, so 
Let's talk a little bit about this need for teams to work better together to rise to this experience um, challenge. And I know in the, in the report, you, um, you have a section where you're talking about some of the discrepancies, for instance, between t- teams and, and whatnot. So let's talk a little bit about how you would advise teams on collaboration. Adam, let's start with you. Yeah, sure. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's so important. We've spoken about having a uh, you know, a broader digital strategy or a customer first strategy, talking about some of the, um, you know, the, the the key decision points around choosing the right technology and the right platform, but actually without an enablement strategy and without, you know, thinking about the, the ways of working operationally in process that it kind of, you know, again, it can only go so far. So I think likewise, right, it, you know, technology investment is, is one of the key factors in you know in any sort of um, organization at the moment whether that is marketing or IT decision making um, side of the the spectrum if you will but I think you know both of those two teams and and other you know external parties as an example you know a collaboration all working together sort of operationally and understanding how they where they work and where they best fit up and down that content supply chain um, is is super important. So, you know, think we've spoken already about, um, you know, workflow, um, approval process and governance. Those sorts of operational things are, are really important to, to really detail out. So get a really good view of how things work today, map that against, you know, how things might change tomorrow going forward and in, you know, in your 2B state. And then just try as, you know, as best as possible to have a, a really dispassionate conversation around where does this capability sit today? You know, where does it need to change or where can we bring it together through, you know, a new way of working or a new operating model or a different operating model that is more collaborative just in its nature, right? So you hear examples of um, Spotify being one that is thrown around a lot around squad models and, and things like that. But it's, you know, this no- this notion of having sort of, you know, horizontal capabilities and, you know, people looking at, you know, looking after various elements, either in the production of content or the management of it or the distribution, you know, sitting sitting across products and sitting across journeys rather than that capability living within, you know, within a particular product that, you know, that's only as good for, you know, for the, the channel that that's being put out to. So I think understanding, you know, how to bring those things together and forming, really forming that enablement strategy um, again, up front or, or alongside the technology um, is, is really important. Mike, I'd love to bring you in here as well. I mean, considering you're working with a lot of different customers and clients on um, not just, you know, getting the technology set up, but then making it work in the, in the organization. What would, what would be the sort of um, advice that you would think about when it comes to teams and collaboration? Again, re- referencing back to some of the things that were brought out in the report. Mark and Adam have touched on most of uh, the, the the important elements, you know, um, agile, etc. Um, uh, one of the things which is really important, though, and I think this is often lost, is that buying new technology, you know, just uh, to replace other technology, you know, if you don't then uh, change your organisation, the, the process and the workflows then you're actually just going to use the technology in exactly the same way as you used the old technology and you're not going to get any incremental benefit. And so when buying 
new technology, you need to think of it as a, a change enabler um, that is going to allow you to look at your um, uh, existing processes and workflows and ways of doing things and actually in, improve those. And the other side is then uh, training and enablement. And uh, I quite often, you know, find it um, difficult to comprehend that organizations will spend small fortunes on RFPs, RFIs, and uh, cross-functional teams to determine what technology to buy. But then when I ask them, how much have you put to one side from a budget perspective to train and enable people to use this new technology, they go none. And you go, so you're spending a huge amount of money to figure out what the best technology is, but you're not going to train and, and enable people in the right way. And so I think that those two fundamental things of, you know, uh, buying new technology, you know, if if you just keep the same processes and the same workflows, you're going to you know, recreate this, you, you're going to implement it around your existing organization, you're going to create the same issues and challenges. And make sure you bring in enablement and training to ensure that people know how to use the tools and how to get the most from them. And with that, that's quite often working with partners and third parties who maybe have better experience using that technology and leveraging those relationships to augment your, your own resource so that you know that you're going to be using the technology in the right way. Adam. Well, yeah, I just think that last point is really um, so important. And, and actually, you know, everything seems to be as a service these days, but enablement as a service is, you know, something that we're seeing a lot, a lot more, um, you know, as, a, as an opportunity to partner with the clients we work with too. Yes, perhaps, you know, it's a sliding scale really that, you know, we, we might implement a piece of technology for a client and then, and then we can, you know, help with the support and and um, and the actual kind of use of that platform for a period of time, while, you know, at the same time helping to upskill um, people on uh, within the business to, you know, to improve either content authoring or experience orchestration or or any part of that process really. And I think, yeah, that's a, a really good point that Mike makes is that actually, you know, external parties or agencies are really valuable and it can be really valuable in that process while because it takes time right and and you know having a, a plan around building up the capability within an organization typically will be you know a, a 12 24 36 month type of plan it, do, it does take a while but um yeah so th i think it's a really good point to make that actually considering partners in that process is is really uh, really important the other point is you know, similarly, uh, it goes back up to what we we're talking about a little bit earlier around personalized experiences and all the different permutations and variations of content that are required for that. Going back up to the top of the, the supply chain and the life cycle around content production, actually, you know, that a lot, a lot of organizations, unless they have huge budgets and, and resources, they actually can't quite meet that demand of the content velocity that, that they need to serve service um those those experiences so yeah i think uh, it's you know not to be underestimated how valuable working with external partners from both a pure production perspective but also from a enablement and, and capability perspective as well 
And Mark, just to, to pull you in on that as well, uh, what, what sort of advice would you have for, for brands to, to act now in terms of making sure they get all this right? So, um, you know, building on, on what both Mike and, and Adam have said, um, you know, when you're when you're thinking about your content supply chain, you, you know, you really need to think about you know, how it might change your organization. And, um, you know, the best way of doing this is to start developing out new use cases that genuinely map the asset journey through people, process and tools. Traditionally, what happens when you select a product is, uh, you know, you will build some use cases, you'll look at the underlying capabilities, and then you'll sort of apply that to a matrix in terms of what products fit those capabilities. But that's not enough anymore. You need to really think about you know, how those use cases really articulate what your organization is trying to do. And you need to focus on what that means across your organization as much as your technology. And then when you're selecting a product, it's a case of which technology can supply the underlying capabilities, but which technology also fits with that state of mind uh, that I need to change in my organization to be able to deliver all of the right asset journeys to support our multi-channel vision. Mike, do you want to add something there? The, the, there's one final thing I'll add because this is all the, if back in the sixties, there was a, um, Melvin Conway, uh, um, uh, made a, it's quite a, a good, well-known phrase of any organization that designs a system will produce a design whose structure is a copy of the organization's communication structure. So w- w- what that means is that, you know, as if you don't change your, marketing structure, your um, uh, organization structure, when you implement the technology, it's, it's just going to fit around that like it always did. So yes, it's, it's a quite a well-known um, sort of phrase of you know um, being able to adapt your organization instead. I think that's a lovely um, note to end on, Mike. Thank you for that. And thank you all three of you for uh, both giving us such great context around the challenges that are there right now, specifically right now because of the last year um, that we've had, but more generally around the direction that this industry has been going in. And of course, um, for sharing such concrete um, and useful advice that hopefully everyone listening will be able to take something away from. So Adam, Mike, Mark, thank you so much for coming and joining us on the show. 